Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you're coming from the corporate world, and it definitely took us a while to adapt to this, maybe you've had a big budget. It's not your checkbook that you're writing from. Whereas when you own a, when you own a business, it absolutely is. I mean, in, in those early days with most businesses, you're not going to be generating positive cash flow. There's going to be a period of time in terms of a ramp up. It can be kind of an uncomfortable feeling writing a check every two weeks to make payroll. I think it comes back to that other element I said on just everything takes longer than you think. So assume that. Be conservative with your forecasts and have a reserve. And if you get off to a fast start, great, you blow those thumbs away. And that's usually positive, obviously. Welcome back to Bucket List Careers. I'm Crystal Laurie, your host. Thanks so much for joining. Today, we have Jeremy Bolington, who found himself unemployed for the first time at age 49 after more than two decades in banking, London, New York, Hong Kong, back to New York, mostly working for HSBC, running relationships with Fortune 500 companies such as Coca-Cola, Nike, and P&G. His family was financially comfortable when he was laid off, but Jeremy felt too young to retire and throw in the towel. So he made the bold move to say no more to banking. He and his family moved south. Jeremy and his wife became franchise owners in two beauty systems. His banker friends called him crazy. But he killed it with a women's blow-dry bar brand where he did a deal to help them recruit franchisees and then support them across the Southeast. Jeremy also saw success with the waxing studio business he started. And that's not the end of Jeremy's journey. Now a franchise consultant, he's helping other refugees from corporate America find a second act that lights them up. All right, let's get to the conversation. Jeremy, welcome to Bucketless Careers. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thanks, Krista. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yes, well, your narrative is a great fit for the show. You pulled off a successful transition to become a franchise consultant, focusing on helping people navigate the maze of the franchise world. And specifically, you're helping those coming out of corporate America, which is exactly what you did with your pivot. So let's rewind your story for our listeners. I know you spent a good chunk of your career, 25 plus years in banking. Yes, I, I, I did. 25 plus years. And as you can probably tell from my accent, not originally from South Carolina, where I now live, but grew up and went to school in the UK and got into the banking world, had the chance to come to the US back in 1997 with my wife and our, our very young kids at the time. And 25 years later, we're still here. We actually both got citizenship a year or so ago. Finally, it took a while to decide to go from green card to, to citizens. But yeah, I, I ran relationships in the banking world, worked most of my career for one bank, British, a British bank, and basically ran relationships with Fortune 500 companies and then ran teams of people doing that through the crisis in 2008, 2009, moved to a different bank in 2011, and then things were going really well until they weren't <laughs> in uh, 2015. So I, I got laid off then. And I always sort of joke, it was that sort of moment where a lot of things were changing for us. Our youngest in August of 2015 had left for college. So we were empty nesters. And then I showed up back at home <laughs> full time in September 2015. And we'd been building a house actually down here in, in Charleston. So that came into the equation of, should we just go do something different? And I did, obviously. Things were changing for us. The family, kids were gone. 
we were in a good position financially. So it wasn't like I had to go, I got to go get a job. How am I going to pay the mortgage? And I sort of, I half-heartedly, I think, networked in the banking world because that's what you were supposed to do. And I actually had a, I was working with a, a search firm that when I, they called me to say, we want you for this particular position. And I told them, eh, kind of not sure. <laughs> I really want that. I just couldn't get excited about doing the same thing, albeit with, a, in my view, a lesser firm. And I also, at the same time, been going down this separate track of looking at businesses. You know, do I start something myself? I've, I've noodled on a couple of things, but just didn't feel like I had any good enough ideas or the maybe the courage to to do that. I looked at resales. There really wasn't anything that sort of got me interested down here in, in Charleston. And so I sort of ended up in that, what I always describe as the middle ground of franchising, because you you still, you're taking a lot of risk. It's your business, your locations, but you've got that sort of umbrella of franchisor support, franchisee support as well in terms of a network of, of fellow owners. Actually, I worked with a consultant here and did a whole bunch of work on my own as well to try to figure out like what might make sense and ended up focusing on bricks and mortar and two businesses in the beauty space, as you touch on. Right. So you started a women's blow-dry bar brand and a waxing studio business. So what was the ramp up like for you there in those types of franchises, making that transition? Clearly very different than the banking environment you had been used to. So talk to me about challenges. You know, with hindsight, there were some things that we totally underestimated. I say we because my wife was involved with certainly with the blow dry side, the the two businesses. Looking back now, everything always takes longer than you than you think. And if it doesn't, that's great. But assume that it will, because it did. It took longer to find locations. It was with the blow dry business, we got to a very fast start. There really wasn't much competition here in this market. And this is a big wedding market. I also with them did a deal where I was helping them recruit franchisees across the Southeast. And that for me was sort of the, one of the most interesting parts because I was working with a lot of people that were looking at the same thing that I had done in terms of does the business make sense? And so I had a lot of fun over a two, three year period trying to bring people into the system and then be helping them through the whole, like, what's the right location to build out this startup and that. But I think for us, we underestimated the, the staffing side for sure. And I also, I think, you know, I'd run I mean, my last job at, at, at Standard Chartered, there were 300, 400 people that fed up into me. So I can run anything. I can manage anybody. And I think that's something now when I work with individuals from a consulting perspective, I really try to drill into in terms of just how comfortable are you with different types of employees? Because it, clearly managing employees in a salon type world, very different from highly motivated professional bankers that I'd worked with over the years. Well, see, that is what I would wonder about, finding the right fit for a franchise. And I'm sure a lot of the people who you work with, your clients, those who are listening, who are looking for a next step, a second act, wonder the same thing. So what's really the first and or biggest obstacle in terms of finding the right fit? The toughest thing, I think, for a lot of people is to just make that decision. And particularly in a right now, we're still in an environment where the job market is strong. And I think... In many times, the decision that people are weighing is, do I do that or do I, is there a, an attractive job position? I think for me, the tipping point was, and again, I, you know, as I said earlier, we were in a, in a good position sort of financially, but it was also that element of, 
I've always believed this is not like a rehearsal. You get one go at, at life. And it is funny. So many times I see people opt for what I think is the easy option of go back to a, to a, to a job. And part of that, I think, is, is the comfort element there. But I think also people are perhaps just maybe more risk averse than, than I was. So I think that's getting over that hump to say, okay, I want to do this. Then I think if you're coming from the corporate world, and it definitely took us a while to adapt to this, maybe you've had a big budget. It's not your checkbook that you're writing from. Whereas when you own a, when you own a business, it absolutely is. I mean, in, in those early days with most businesses, you're not going to be generating positive cash flow. There's going to be a period of time in terms of a ramp up. It can be kind of an uncomfortable feeling writing a check every two weeks to make payroll. I think it comes back to that other element I said on just everything takes longer than you think. So assume that, be conservative with your forecasts and have a reserve. And if you get off to a fast start, great, you blow those thumbs away. And that's usually positive, obviously. Sure. Well, you mentioned that you had a stable financial foundation to be able to manage that, writing checks every two weeks in the beginning. But I'm curious about your clients, let's say, that don't have the reserves. If you had to give us a number or a range for the amount needed to comfortably start a franchise, what would it be? And I recognize there are differentials, of course, based on the type of business you're looking to start, other variables. But is there, let's say, a ballpark where you can say this is enough to get started? If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's a great question. And, and it's something that we, when I work with somebody on the consulting side, we spend a lot of time on that in terms of like realistic budget. And obviously some of it also depends on their, their credit standing, access to borrowed funds. But, and, and to your point, there's an extremely wide range of cost of franchises. I, typically the, everybody thinks of bricks and mortar, you know, whether it's personal care, gyms, fitness, food. At a minimum, those anything that requires a physical space, which has build out, lease, you know, ramp up period, employees from day one. At a minimum, those franchises, the the cost to start up is, I'd say, even on the very low end, two hundred to two fifty to three hundred thousand. I mean, there are a couple of businesses that might just be under that, but but the reality is, there's also a ton of other businesses where you don't have physical presences and, and you know, it could be service businesses, technicians and trucks. And there are also a number of businesses where they're more kind of like sales business origination, where somebody might just run that business on their own to start with from home. And those tend to be very cheap to get into. I would say they're the minimum is somewhere in the 75 to 80,000, but to be comfortable, maybe it's 
you know, it's a hundred thousand. And particularly if somebody has left a job, maybe they're unemployed. Again, back to my assume, it takes longer, even if it's a like a let's say a direct sort of sales type business, assume it's going to take longer to get your first sort of client's revenue in. And again, if you get them quicker, great. Yes, exactly. So let's take a moment to talk about why this is meaningful work for you now, Jeremy, your bucket list gig. Clearly, after you were laid off in 2015, you had the self-awareness and wisdom to say, I'm not going back to banking. I need to think differently about the next 10 to 20 years of my life. So what can listeners take from all of that that will help them launch a new chapter the way you did? My mother passed away at a very young age, and so that that's always sort of been with me in terms of, I wouldn't say live every day as though it's your last, but actually think about what you're doing. And if you have the opportunity to experience different things, I've always believed you should. And, and in many ways, you could argue, well, I spent 25 years not doing that. <laughs> but I, I felt during the banking time that I was always given opportunity and growth. And so I never saw the need to kind of look outside of that. But I think in terms of that strength to make that decision, I think it is stepping back. And just when I look back at whatever age, 65, 70, hopefully much older, how do I feel it? Because if you've got regrets at that point, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to address those. And so for me, it was sort of, I think that element of wanting to do something different. So that was the big pivot in 15, 16. And it was interesting. So think about four years Forward from that, COVID, everything's shut. I think the one thing that I missed from the banking world was that sort of challenge of, well, two things maybe, intellectual challenge, because the reality is the businesses we were in, but once you had figured them out, were relatively straightforward. I really enjoyed working with the franchisees that I'd brought on. That was real fun, kind of coaching and helping them. But I was sort of missing that intellectual slash deal challenge. And so sort of a mini COVID pivot, if you will, deciding to jump into the franchise consulting world. I'd worked with a lot of consultants that were bringing me people that might be right for the, the blow dry business, some really good consultants. And I partnered with one of those, but also some really horrible ones who didn't know their clients were just hoping that something might click. And I just thought I can do a much better job of that because I've gone through it personally. And I think bringing that business ownership experience and, and mistakes that we made and accepting that I think I'd learned from those and try to bring those to bear with people that I work with. And I'm sure you enjoy seeing your clients thrive in their new roles as franchise owners, knowing your trial and error, what you went through has helped them navigate their way to success more easily. That seems to me rewarding beyond the paycheck. And how does the intake process go? If someone wants to work with you, tell us step one. It, it's really the, the front end of the process is really sort of digging into many of the things we've talked about, the budget, financial position, transferable skills and experience that they've had, and the goal. What does success look like? Is it an income replacement thing? Is it about, I'm 55, I've left the corporate world. I can't retire. I don't need to make that much money, but I want something that's like intellectually engaging. So it's kind of working through a whole series of questions and a sort of a process around, around that. And that typically is two to three calls, asking the client to do some homework and really think about those things. 
And then we, I go to work trying to match all of those elements into like, what are the right businesses that might make sense? I'm part of a network where we have 500 plus franchises across pretty much every industry you could think of and investment range and types of businesses. And so we try to match those looking at as well, things like geography, which market is the, the person focused on what's available in that market. And then hopefully some of those ideas resonate. And we then sort of work through with the franchise or through a due diligence process where I will coach my client through that process. The one thing I would say is in terms of people engaging me, the model for franchise consultants works a little bit like buyer's agent in, in real estate in that I'm actually paid a referral fee by a franchise or if I find somebody the right business and they go through the, the full due diligence process. So how do I manage that? I tend to be selective on who I'll work with. I mean, if I think somebody's just kicking tires, yeah, we'll have an initial conversation. But if if they're not willing or able to commit to a process, then we'll just say, I, I don't think there's really a fit there. Let's stay in touch because things might change. Oh, I also meant to ask this earlier, Jeremy, but we still have a few minutes here for this episode. What is hot in franchising right now? I know you have to get this question. It's interesting. I, I think one question that pretty much everybody always asks is like, what's the hot brand? And my answer is always, I'm not going to answer that directly because when I work with somebody, it's like often the brands that will end up sort of saying, I think this is a good fit. Often people might not even have heard of the brand or even thought of the sub-segment as being like relevant to them. But I will have a rationale and a reason as to why I think this fits the business model that we've sort of constructed. If I look at like what a some of the areas that are growing very quickly right now. And I think there's always an element of like we tread carefully there just because one of the dangers in franchising is if a franchisor gets out over their skis in terms of they've grown too quickly, can they support that in terms of supporting the franchisees in terms of opening and setup? But I'd say the sort of probably the, the hottest areas right now are home service type businesses and, and a broad sort of range of businesses there from, let's say, cleaning, windows, lawn care, and kind of everything in between. And that really, we really saw that pick up at the early days of COVID as people were at home suddenly going, needed to paint that, <laughs> you know, or whatever, all those, all those things that people thought of. And that, so that's one area I'd say if you go pre-COVID, things like fitness were hot, but that's definitely slowed, I think, for obvious reasons. I think there are one or two businesses in sort of, I'd say quasi-medical, sort of mental health, physical therapy, a couple of businesses there that are growing very quickly, but there's something underpinning that. And then food is always, we tend not to spend a lot of time on food because they tend to be much higher cost of startup, often the bigger sort of the Q, you know, everybody thinks of QSR, quick service restaurants when they think of franchising, but I'd say most of those brands, certainly the well-known ones, have very big, well-established operators as franchisees. I mean, they are big companies in their own right in many cases. Such great information you're sharing with us here in this episode, Jeremy. Thank you. Tell us where to send everybody online to learn more about the consulting business. Two ways to find me. First would be our website, www.yourfranchiseiswaiting.com. And you can book a time on my calendar through there. And then secondly, hit me up on LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time on there and that's the easiest way to, to get me online. 
All right, Jeremy Bollington, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey with us and also for letting us pick your brain on franchising. Really enjoyed it. Krista, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks as always for joining me. I'm Krista Laurie. This is Bucket List Careers. Be sure to share an episode. If it speaks to you, DM me any guest ideas or any input at all. You know where to find me, Krista at bucketlistcareerspodcast.com or just at bucketlistcareers on all the social platforms. Until next Thursday, be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite-only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, it's fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.